It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time to kill. Love picks up Curry. The shoot around. Hey everybody, we wanted to take a quick second and say thank you for listening, and that we would like to encourage you to follow and subscribe. We are really proud of the work that we've been putting out there, especially our videos. If you haven't yet, be sure to check us out on YouTube as well. I'm going to interrupt Adam there just for a minute. He is being really modest. He's created some great content, and so please make sure you click on the bell to get notified. Oh, yeah, and if you want, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be cool, too. Well, thanks, buddy. By the way, welcome to the club. We're going to discuss the Donovan Mitchell press conference and get into some other stuff like expectations from the national media. So Terry Pluto of Cleveland.com recently reported that there could be times the Cavs play Evan Mobley at small forward next year. He noted that Kevin Love would be at the four and Allen, of course, would be at the five in these specific scenarios. Are Terry Pluto's sources listening to the podcast, Adam? Well, I would like to think that they are. That would be wonderful. We certainly need to grow our fan base. But I think it's just common sense. I think from the moment we saw this guy's college footage of what he was able to put up there at at USC... He has the body and the ball handling skills of a Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Durant is 6'11", right? 6'10", 6'11". At Kevin least. Durant almost was Mobley, right? I mean, yeah. these guys have very comparable skill sets, even though Mobley, I think, has been purposely driven towards a power forward position over his career so far. The idea that he can't move to the four or even the one or even the five, I think mm-hmm. Mobley is a four-position player if you're smart about matchups and how to get the most out of him. So for me, I'm not surprised that they would move him to the three. It feels a little bit early to do it this year, but my hope would be that he's actually improved his three-point percentage and he'll be able to come out and, and shoot into the 30s because he was at 25% last year. <laughs> and nobody wants a small forward that can't shoot a perimeter shot. So... That's all I would say. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about this development as well, mainly because it also shows us that JB is still tinkering. He's still being creative and wanting to challenge his players. Mobley is a player that can play so many different play, you know, different positions. He can play on so many different levels of, you know, from a skill set of passing, from just like recognizing the game. And I think in this scenario as well of, of what's been reported, you wouldn't really lose that much defensively depending on the lineup because Love can still get in the way enough, can still pester certain power forwards enough that it would throw that opponent off. 
because Mobley is such a dynamic defensive presence that having him mark up on a 6-8 small forward and trying to see if that guy can get anywhere on the floor would be pretty taxing. So it's exciting because I think JB likes to play around with these lineups and he'll continue to do so, which is a really fun little wrinkle of being a fan of this team. As we mentioned at the top, the press conference announcing Donovan Mitchell happened this past week. What stood out to you the most? Yeah, so the long-expected press conference finally happened this past week. It was exciting to see how much love Donovan was getting. You know, the fact that he flew in. There was apparently an airplane hangar full of people when he landed. Cleveland is really ready to have him as one of their superstars on this team. And that was really fun to see. I think for me, some of the points that I found really intriguing were, one, Kobe Altman opened up the press conference and he basically said that this team still has some time. There still needs to be some patience with the evolution of how this Cavs squad is going to gel and move forward as a whole. I found that intriguing because when Donovan Mitchell got a chance to speak, he basically said that he wants the squad to start competing for a championship fairly soon. He didn't say it in those ways, but he really alluded to he thinks that the talent on the Cavaliers roster right now is a championship contending team. It's a That's how much talent is on the floor with these Cavaliers. So I found that intriguing just because we love Kobe Altman. I think that he's a really great executive and he's doing a good job, you know, tempering expectations, making sure that if there are some bumps in the road that the team doesn't get slammed too hard by the media and maybe some fans. The other thing that I noted or noticed was how measured, how responsible and humbled Mitchell was in a lot of his, in, in his, in his approach to the questions. He talked about how, he wants players to be uncomfortable, he wants to be a listener, and he wants to be a leader on this squad. And I found that really intriguing because here's a guy who's a top 30 scorer, who's extremely talented, already made his mark in the postseason for sure as far as his scoring output, has been to the playoffs every year of his career. He is a player that we're not really used to landing in trades and he still is approaching this whole situation from an angle of being a responsible teammate, but also being a guy who wants to make sure that this team really comes into every game prepared and wants to make sure that they're always playing well. So those were some of the takeaways that I had. What were the things that you noticed, Adam? I noticed all those things for sure. Um, one of the things that jumped out to me first was just the fact that it was a full showing, that Altman, Bickerstaff, and Mitchell were there, that Garland was in the crowd with apparently Levert and possibly another player, that 
there was a the right amount of support and love being shown for what I believe is one of the top 15 players, 10, 15 players in the league for sure. Hands mm-hmm. down for sure. He is a franchise level player. He's somebody that you get if you're lucky enough to draft him or if you're lucky enough to live in a big market. Mm-hmm. You get him in a trade. The Cavaliers should have no business picking up a player like this because the history of the Cavs, at least in the time that you and I have followed them, the only way you get a great player here is if LeBron is here. <laughs> and right. The greatest player we ever traded for technically back was LeBron because we right. had a sign and trade with Miami, which people don't really realize that. But, I mean, people do, but it's not like the thing people talk about all the time. Right. And so technically that's like the greatest trade we ever made for a player. Right. But the guy wanted to come back and, right. and make amends for what he did. So this is truly, even though we were down on the concept of it at the time, you know, we, we had to kind of look at it as, Sexton or Mitchell. That was the only way to really look at it as a fan. Mm-hmm. And now that it, the choice has been made, I think we have come to many conclusions as to why this is the right choice for the Cavaliers and that this is possibly the greatest pickup in a trade of value that we've seen mm-hmm. outside of LeBron in the history of yeah. the past. So that being said, all of those things being a part of my thought process, I was elated anyway that we were able to put ourselves into a position to now be, like I mentioned in the last episode, a part of the NBA conversation, that no one can exclude us now from mm-hmm. that. And, and we'll talk about that in the second question as well. Um, so what I really loved about the presser is he talked about not caring about being in a small market. He talked about, um, he was asked, you know, do you think you're going to be competing for championships? Like you mentioned, I think he expects that they will be, but I loved his answer, which is on paper we should be, but we've got to put in the work. Mm -hmm. I love that answer because he could say, yeah, yeah, we should just get there. You know, look at the talent on this team. It, It should be easy or whatever. But I like that he understands that it all is a process. He's saying the right things. Also, he was excited that they were able to keep the players that they were able to keep. That was another big thing. The fact that he's looking at it saying, it isn't just about me. It's about what I can do with the team Mm. I'm going to. And if I go to a team where they had to deplete that talent in order for me to join the roster, what good does that do for me winning or for the legacy of being a contender and continuing his run into the playoffs, right? So for me, those are the things that stuck out the most. That The guy is just hungry and ready to play in a small market with a bunch of guys that he's already identified just from being a fan of the game and playing us last year. Mm-hmm. We're loaded with talent and we're ready to compete. Some interviews that came out um, on the Woj Podge and some other press interviews with Evan Damerall and folks like that who – also talked about how when Mitchell spoke to Altman about the trade, he had heard Altman had shared that the players were working out down at Vanderbilt with Darius Garland. And I thought that that was really cool because Mitchell heard that and immediately was just like, how do I get there? I'm going to leave like basically as soon as we're done talking. So to, kind of piggyback on what you were mentioning 
he wasn't just excited about being traded. Clearly some stuff was going on in Utah where he thought he might not be there. Maybe there was some ill will where he didn't get along with some of the players or something went down. I don't think to a giant extreme, nothing like what we've seen in the NBA. But more importantly, he was excited to move from Utah in a situation that he didn't really know is it it was a little wishy-washy what the future was there to an established talented group who he knows he's going to be playing with three other players, four other players on the floor who he can trust grow with and really evolve his game. I mean, his game is already incredible, but he's going to be 26 going into the season and you and I, One of our tells, something we really love to bring up, is how he's now hitting the prime of his career. 26, 27, 28, even 29, that's when NBA players really, everything slows down. So that's what I also really loved as well. One thing I was going to mention was, obviously, we know he's skilled. Is there anything else that you see Mitchell bringing from like an intangibles level to this squad that maybe we've alluded to in the past. And now he's going to be bringing that to the team or we saw in that press conference that he brought up. Are there any intangibles that he's bringing to the Cavs that you're, that you want to highlight? We've done three episodes now on Donovan and that's a very short period of time to do so much about the man. Um, I think we've spoken what we believe is his strongest points as a player and also some of the things we'd like him to improve, especially for me, just the three-point percentage. If he can be closer to that 38 39% that he's mm-hmm. flirted with at times instead of 35% was what he, what he averages now, um, we're going to be an unbelievable team. Also, if he can pick up his assists, like I've talked about. Yeah. But, you know, he's been in the playoffs every year of his career, and he is coming in as a veteran. He's coming in mm-hmm. as an older guy. You know, he, he mentioned that four or five times in the press conference. Yeah, how at yeah 26, that's true. He's one of the old guys now. And he did mention that, you know, um, Rubio is, is a little older, you know, that, that right. he's become more of that steely vet since he last played with him. But just thinking that he's, he just turned 26 years old, and for most of the press conference, he just kept talking about how he's the old man in the room yeah. and, and that these young guys, he's just excited to work with those guys. It's only a few years difference, but just the fact that since coming into the NBA, he's been carrying himself that way. He's been a leader and somebody that you would think just watching his highlights from his rookie year that he's been here for five, six years already. And Mm -hmm. now he actually has been. And like we mentioned, he's moving into his prime where the physical and the mental finally kind of meet with each Mm -hmm. other. And simply the fact that he talked about, oh, yeah, I worked out with Darius, but only twice. And the two times I did, I was thinking, oh, my God, this this guy shoots better than me. I'm going to have to pick up my game. Now they play together. Yeah. When he was thinking that they were just working out. Yeah. So. What they can do together and what he's going to bring to the the team in general, I'm excited about all of it. All of it. Yeah. I think that you're also hitting on something there where it's not really broken down much or discussed much, which is that playoff experience is 
what we know he's bringing to the table, which means he knows if the Cavs hit a lull, if they're not playing as well as they should be, he knows at what caliber, what level of execution they need to be on the floor to actually become a playoff caliber team. He yeah, mentioned well, it in the press conference as well about yeah. he mentioned something to the effect of, you know, I, I'm one of those guys that, you know, we're going to have the weeks that we're winning, but we're also going to have a, a, some days and some weeks and some months that we're not. And how are we going to meet those challenges? Right. Yeah. And I think exactly what you're saying now, how do you get to the playoffs five straight years in a row? You've got to know how to weather those storms and still yeah. come out with a good enough record that you get there in the end. For sure. And that's what I liked is he seems like a guy who he knows way more about basketball than you and I ever will. But there's also a humble nature to him where he understands that he doesn't know everything yet. He is a player that is willing to attack defenses differently. He's understanding that he might not you know, he might not be the point of attack for three or four games in a row or whole quarters, but they're winning. So why are they winning? Because he's coming off ball more just on these matchups. You know, it's all about that communication and making sure that it just, you know, he has total buy-in. That's what I saw in that press conference. And it really made me excited and, we've mentioned this in the past, just really frustrated that the NBA season doesn't start in September. So, you know, I want it to start now just to see Darius and him just shred defenses from 35 feet away, just raining threes. So it, it was just a lot of fun. Are there, is there anything else you wanted to add besides me gushing? <laughs> I just want to beg the strength and conditioning coaches to do their jobs <laughs> yeah. the best they've ever done in their lives. <laughs> yes. this, this season means so much. Please keep everyone healthy and stressed. I need, yeah, <laughs> we need every Cleveland clinic, physical therapist, any doctor that knows what they're doing about how to keep people 100% healthy. Just you need to be at every game possible, period. Mark Stein on his Substack ranked the Cavs number nine in his power rankings. Is this proof that the rest of the NBA landscape is recognizing how good this team should be? I hope so. I think that we really should have made waves when we picked up Jared Allen. I was surprised that nobody saw the writing on the wall then that this team was headed towards being a contender. And we've talked about how that was kind of the the last puzzle piece for Altman to put in place for him to really then run to the finish line for a lot of the other moves he's made. I do like that Stein uh, mentions that they just love the idea of a Mitchell, Mobley, Allen, Garland core. Um, I just love that you could keep naming players off of our team and it would still be relevant. So we very much have an eight or nine guy roster right now that is strong. Absolutely mm -hmm. strong. And no offense to the guys at the far end of the bench. You're great, too. Um, but the fact that, as I stated in question one, that we've really made a play for one of the top guys in the NBA and the fact that he doesn't come from Akron, Ohio, uh, and yet he is excited to play here and we were able to get him, that's why we're at nine. 
mean, I was looking at mm-hmm. the power rankings from a few weeks ago, and we were at 17. We had mm-hmm. moved one position up um, from where we ended at the end of the year. That's how much the NBA's analysts and others thought we would improve. And we talked, too, when they released kind of the expectation of how many games we would win. We felt that we would win at least 10 more than what they mm-hmm. said. And now I think that's that should be a given. It's exciting. We We knew. That's why we had to do a Mitchell reaction episode the the next day after we dropped Sexton or Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, the episode. Yeah. Um, that's why we've put out two more episodes about Donovan since then. Yes, we're striking while the iron's hot, but it's because finally the NBA and the media landscape are paying attention to us again. And it's without LeBron being in the name. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. And as we've stated before, uh, barring catastrophic injury or just not being able to gel as a team, they're locked in for four solid years now with this core and with these opportunities. So not only should we be ranked at a greater clip this year, but we should be seeing our number increase year after year. I want to see us flirting with the top three, top five, Mm-hmm. within the next two seasons. And I think right now, in the same way that when Harden joined Brooklyn, everybody got excited at the possibilities. Mm-hmm. I think that Cleveland now is another destination where everybody can be excited about the possibilities. Definitely. I also wanted to just say that the reason why I wanted to bring up this power rankings was it had Brooklyn at 14. And we have been dogging on Brooklyn ever since the trade request, not trade request, everything that's going on with that team. Will Simmons play? I don't know. He's a player in the NBA. I don't know if he'll play. I don't believe they got rid of Jared Allen to bring in Ben Simmons. So that's no, right they there. Didn't. They've already no. uh, failed in what they had hoped for. Yeah. So I was just happy to see a reporter, a writer like Stein kind of put Brooklyn in the right place, which is just further down the pile. The other thing I think this move does for the Cavs is it does tell the rest of the NBA landscape what they are. You and I kind of mentioned this going into the season before the Mitchell trade they had a lot of players. If Mitchell doesn't come here, they would have had Sexton, Markkanen, and Ochai. In addition to an already really deep bench, Rubio possibly coming in midway through the season, that's a lot of mouths to feed. And we kind of talked about how JB was going from a roster with pretty depleted talent, you know, his first couple years, to all of a sudden this year, he could have been going in with a really deep team, which is great. He still has a really great, a really great deep team, but he was having he was probably having to face situations where he was sitting guys that were getting closer to ten to fifteen minutes a game and possibly DNPing them for just whole stretches where what this Mitchell trade does is it opens up the roster a little bit. It allows him to breathe with the rotations. It it gives Bickerstaff that chance to 
still tinker, but not really affect egos as much, which I really like because really you and I are big fans of some of those guys further down the bench in Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens, and they can contribute. We've seen them make plays, game-winning shots. They've stepped up in situations defensively a lot. So they know how to play basketball, and I think with having Mitchell on the floor just allows everybody else to kind of take that breath, and then the team can have some good direction as far as the talent and what to do and how to execute. So that's the other thing that I am seeing from a ranking like this is the rest of the NBA writers and the media are kind of seeing, oh, now this team not only brought in a great talent, they now have all these pieces that kind of fit together. It's not a weird situation where you have a seven-foot small forward and Markkanen. So that's the other thing I'm kind of intrigued by is they're going to get more respect now because they have a more traditional kind of setup and they should pounce on it. Obviously, that's what our expectations are, but I am very curious to see how quickly they kind of gel and get off the mark where they are in the talk for the top five teams in the NBA, at least the top two or three in the East. Yeah, I think it's a it's an amazing thing. I know during the presser, Bickerstaff was talking about what guys are they going to account for? What, who are they going to double team? Who are they going to man up on? And who are they going to leave open? Mm-hmm. And with a team this deep with four or five, sometimes maybe even six options, on any given night, that means that this team will be able to keep two or three sharpshooters out on the court at all times. And, mm-hmm. and they're going to be able to rotate guys in and out of certain positions to allow them to take advantage of those mismatches as they try to shut down Garland or, or Mitchell or Mobley or Allen or Love or Rubio or, you know, like it just mm-hmm. keeps going on and on and on or Coro. Which, by the way, we didn't mention in the last question, but I did want to say Mitchell is already giving the love out to mm-hmm. his guys. And he was sending out, a, I think it was a tweet or an Instagram post or something where they had a video showing Okuro streaking down the lane, cutting past three defenders and slamming the ball mm-hmm. on all three of them, right? And he's yeah. just got these big emoji faces and like, look at this guy. This team is so deep. And now mm-hmm. with the playoff caliber talent in Mitchell... And his leadership, being able to bring these guys past certain moments that they have not seen yet, but he has mm-hmm. seen. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we really have an unbelievable opportunity to be a top five team for years oh, to yeah. come. And I, I think I, about the Warriors, which is not my, my favorite team to think about, <laughs> but I do think about the Warriors when I look at the Cavs yeah. as constructed today. Yeah. That we are as deep and as young and as talented as they were when they started their run of championships. It's so hard not to, to fly off the handle with all the possibilities. I would just be happy not to see Darius having to face trap after trap after trap where because they have Mitchell, teams are not going to take that chance because all of a sudden you're getting it to a guy who averages 25 a night or vice versa a dude who can hit it, you know, from outside the gym. So yeah, that'll be a lot of fun to not see that over and over again. (laughs) 
the final seconds. Is getting Mitchell the biggest trade for the Cavs ever? Well, as you mentioned earlier, you kind of brought up this guy named LeBron James. So obviously, it's not the biggest trade ever, but it could be the largest post-LeBron for a long time. LeBron's shadow looms large in Northeast Ohio, and I think getting a player like Donovan Mitchell allows this team to reset its identity much faster than you and I ever thought. They were already on their way, but this resets it by a year, maybe even two. Yeah, the Cavaliers don't get big-name players unless there's already a big-name player here, like LeBron, to give them a reason to come. It's a small market. It has a hard time getting people to want to play here. So the fact that we were able to pull off a trade like this, that that we could even bring a guy like this to Cleveland, that we'd even be in the running for a guy like this. Yes, it accelerates that timeline as a fan and as a franchise where we all can move on. We all can, we all have a new chapter now to read and discover. So I'm excited about this team and I'm excited about the new, the new history that they're going to be making together. Do the Cavs need another wing? I don't think they need another wing to start the season. I think that they're fine as is. And I think they probably feel that way. We were mentioning a few players on this team of where would they fall if we kept Sexton, if we kept Markin, and if we had Ochai. With those three guys gone, now all of a sudden, Okoro, Jetty, Windler, Stevens, all these guys can be that wing. And we just need one of them to step up more consistently. And frankly, I would look to Jetty and Okoro to be that. I'm not concerned to start out the season. I would say come trade deadline, if we're still struggling with that, then I think we find a piece. But for now, I think we're going to start the season as is. Yeah, unless someone really blows Altman away during the preseason or during the minicamps with just wanting to take on one of our roster positions, one of our players... I don't see them making a move until the trade deadline as well, because I think that you need to figure out who really hits. We know that Jetty can start off really hot. We know that he can hit close to 40% from three at times. So if we can utilize that at the beginning of the season, and we know that he'll, he'll probably drop off just a little bit, then maybe we make a move to make sure that the wing depth is in a better position, but I agree. They should probably stand pat and figure something out at the trade deadline. The coaches had been game planning for the guys we lost. Do you think they have enough time to course correct? I do think they have enough time. It might be a little bumpy at the beginning of the season, just because as we've mentioned, you're losing three players and JB did state that he was trying to utilize all three that they lost. So that could be a little bit of a predicament because he's going to have to utilize some of the guys further down at the end of the bench in different ways. And we still don't really know who that starting three is yet. Hopefully it's a Coro. 
but that our starting three might have also left during this trade and market in. So it could be a little bumpy. I definitely think that they have time to course correct. And I think that's simply because Sexton and Mitchell are not that different from one another. So whatever they were game planning with Sexton, now they can maybe turn it to 11 if they want to. As far as Markinen being gone, that's probably the, the biggest question mark because you don't really know how they intended to use him um, as a seven-footer. And we don't have that option necessarily unless they move Mobley into that position and start using him there the way that they intended for Markinen. Maybe that's why we're hearing that rumor now. But um, overall, I think that they had no games to plan uh, for Ochai because they had never played with Ochai, so that's fine. And again, the two guys that they lost, I think that they're going to be able to make up for it. So we should be okay. It's just a question of how quickly can their tendencies be accounted for now or, or Mitchell's tendencies be accounted for in order to kind of get a better flow of the game. Mitchell shared that he wanted LeBron to go to Miami. Do we hold that against him? No. The only person I ever blamed for making that decision was LeBron. That he didn't understand his own legacy. I think that if you were a LeBron fan, you were 100% on board with whatever decision he made. Mm-hmm. If you were a Cleveland fan, then you were ne- it was never going to sit right with you. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I think he said in the press conference that was hot air was when he said that he was a LeBron fan, but he was also a Cleveland Cavs fan. Right. <laughs> no, yeah. no, because if you were, you would have been wanting to burn his jersey or throw it away or any of that. You would have yeah. been heartbroken by the decision. But instead, right. you were like Winhurst, somebody that just follows him along wherever he mm. goes. Yeah, obviously, I'm not going to hold it against them because he was a kid. And usually you don't hold decisions or thought processes that kids have by the time they hit 26-year-old people. Mitchell is a LeBron fan, and that's to be expected. LeBron is an amazing athlete. He's just beyond the pale in the sense of not only a basketball player, but a lot of other issues and things that he tackles as a human. I actually see it as a little bit of a positive or a bonus that he is a LeBron fan, mainly because when he started talking about how to play on the floor and to change his game, adapt, be a listener. And I think that's a mindset that you see from LeBron even to this day, because LeBron has his own style. Yes, he has his own expectations, but he's still going to make sure that all of the players that are on the floor with him are as included as they feel like they can be. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. Let's go Cavs!